0: Good morning. Welcome to Life Church. I'm Aaron Cole, the senior pastor. We welcome all of our campuses, Appleton, Brookfield, Germantown, Milwaukee, online. Wherever you are joining us from today, we're delighted to have you. If you're a first-time guest, we want to say thanks. We know there's a lot of great churches uh, in, in the area, and the fact that you're with us, we're delighted to have you. And uh, I don't know, that's opener every time, just is like, I just want to go to Hawaii. Does anybody else want to do that? I'm just like, hey, just... Take me away. Good. No one else. Okay. I, I, I'm going. All right. Anyhow. So, but uh, if you have your Bibles, don't you to turn with me to Psalm 72? Psalm 72. Um, I'm gonna, and I'm also gonna go to a passage in Ezekiel today. I typically don't do that, but it's it's just it's very interesting how these are connected. So we're in this series, or we've been in this series on summer psalms. So songs of the summer. So psalms are songs you didn't know that. And, um, and there's 150 psalms. So when the team got together and said, look, let's do a summer series and you can preach on any psalm that you want. It's like, oh, yeah, this is great. This is easy. Until you start getting into some of this stuff. And it's just like, how do I explain this? And this is going to get really heady and this is going to get this way. And then like, you know, I mean... Basically, Psalm 150 is all about just use instruments to praise the Lord. So we could just like have a worship service on a Sunday morning and and really no preaching. But so I'm just kind of processing. And and there was a few that I've done that I really wanted to do. And this week I was just, man, I spent, there are times when as a pastor, uh, you just, it just flows. And there's other times where you're just like grinding it out. And so this week was one of those grind it out weeks. It was like God, for whatever reason, was not going to let this be easy. I don't know why that happens. It just does. Maybe your job is always easy. And the thing about my job is Sundays always coming. So if you want to know why the pastor doesn't always preach every week, because it's, it's a lot. And so anyhow, so I, I, um, I'm working on this. And Tuesday morning I got up. Did my morning routine. I'm reading my, my soap scripture observation application prayer. So, for those of you that don't know that, it's just a daily devotional. It's on the Life Church app that we just kind of go through. It's one I do every, every, every day. Every day that I do devotions, I'm not, I don't want to sound like I'm perfect. Like, I read the Bible every day and I pray three hours and I'm the pastor. No, no, no. I have days where I'm like, oh, where did the day go? God, please forgive me and help me. You ever have those Hail Mary prayers? You're just like, thank you, God, please help me today, right? So, anyhow, some of you are with me and some of you are living in denial, but we'll get through this. I'm just saying, this is where it is. So, Psalm 72 was this week, and I was like, this is exactly where we're living. That's a complicated psalm in some things. It's a really interesting psalm, but it's all up in the business. So, I'm going to say a couple things at the beginning here. This is a psalm that David is writing and I'll unpack some of this in just a minute, Uh, and to Solomon, his son. Some say Solomon is writing it and he's echoing the words of his father. It, it, It ends kind of this second category of Psalms. It's what's called the Royal Psalms, and I'll explain some of that in a minute. But it's dealing with people that are leading the nation. It's dealing with what we would call in America, politics. Yeah, aren't you glad you came to church today? And, uh, and, and so, I just started looking at this and unpacking this, reading the commentary and the scholarship on this, and it was amazing. And so, I, what I want to say today is, this is not a partisan talk. I, I, <laughs> we have not even gotten to November, and I'm already, I'm already done with political ads. You know what I'm talking about? Like, I, one, I was watching, maybe in one of the Packer preseason games, and it was like, Every single commercial in that break was just, it was another political ad and political ad. And I mean, it's just like, you're just, you're like Chester Cheetah, you know? It's like, I, 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 like, I just can't, whoa, what? So, but we're in this season and this is very much something that's going on. I also don't want to be a pastor that's just another commentator, that you're going, here we go. This is like watching some TV commentator late night, cable news, da, 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 no, 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 no. You don't go to church to hear some pop psychology or some news commentator or regurgitation of, here are the facts the way I see it, because who am I? I'm just a messenger. But this was in our our reading this week. This is something that I was like, this is right where we are. To title this message, I, I call it To Kings and Presidents. It's Leadership According to God's Standards, These aren't my words. This isn't a partisan. This is literally just kind of speaking right to where we are. So if you have your Bible, Psalm 72. If you don't, it'll be on the screen. But Psalm chapter 72, we're going to read the entire Psalm, and I'm going to unpack it for you. It says this, Give the king your justice, O God, and the righteousness to the royal son. May he judge the people with righteousness, and your poor with justice." Let the mountains bear prosperity for the people and the hills in in righteousness. May he defend the cause of the poor for the people. May he give deliverance to the children of the the needy and crush the oppressor. Verse 5. May they fear you while the sun endures and as long as the moon throughout all generations. May he be like the quote-unquote rain that falls on the mown grass, like showers that water the earth. In his days, may his righteousness flourish And the peace abound till the moon be no more. Verse 8. May he have dominion from sea to sea, from the river to the ends of the earth. May the desert cities bow before him and and his enemies lick the dust. It's pretty graphic, right there. You go. May the kings of of Tarshish and the coastlands render their, him their tribute. May the kings of Sheba and Seba bear gifts. May all the kings fall before him, and all the nations serve him. For he delivers the needy when he calls the poor, and him who has no helper. He has pity on the weak and the needy, and saves the lives of the needy from the oppressor and the violence. Uh, the, and from and violence, he redeems their life and the precious in his in their blood in his sight. Long may he live. May gold of Sheba be given to him. May prayer be made, made, made May prayer be made for him continually. These false teeth are killing me today, I'm sorry. And the blessings invoke for him all the day. May there be abundance of grain in the land, and on the tops of the mountains may it wave. May its fruit be like Lebanon, and may the people blossom in the cities like the grass in the field. May his name endure forever. His fame continue as long as the sun. May people be blessed in him and all the nations call him blessed. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who alone does wondrous things. Blessed be his glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. These are the prayers of David, the son of Jesse, are ended. As you read this passage, this Psalm 72, like I said, is a, what they call a royal psalm. It focuses... Its focus is concerned on matters relating to being the king, uh, being the, uh, the political, social, and religious duties that the king would have. And some commentators, again, would say this is Solomon writing, echoing his words of his father, and others would say, no, it's actually David writing. The essence, it's a biblical mandate for anyone wanting to lead a nation or a people. For us, in American context, it's political leaders in the area of government, There's a couple of observations from this passage, from this chapter I want to unpack as we just kind of walk through it. First of all, you have to lead well by moral law, the Bible says. You lead well by moral law. If you're taking notes, write this down. If you're going to quote me, quote me right. Amen. You're going to tweet me, tweet me right, baby. Lead well by moral law. The question is, how do we determine right from wrong? Is it by the vote of the legislature Is it by the act of a president or an executive branch of government? Is it the decision of a judge or a judiciary? The psalmist knew better that the moral law comes from God. And wise rulers seek the blessing of his justice and his righteousness, verse 1 says. The absence of moral law, human society then ultimately breaks down when the laws that are derived from politics and the moment rather than the standards of God. Any branch of government losing this perspective descends quickly into the quicksand of moral relativity and ethical chaos. That's where we are today. Like, if you look at the world that we're living in today, it's like, what has happened? It's not new, though. This is humanity. Again, this psalm was written thousands of years ago because this is a human condition. Roe v. Wade, in 1973, the U.S. Supreme Court decided to legally permit abortion. The same year, the same U.S. Supreme Court blocked the development of a dam in the, in the state of Tennessee to protect a snail darter, which is a three-inch fish. Again, moral, moral relativity, an absence of moral law. God has instituted government to validate and implement moral law, verse 2 says. To promote the common good, verse 3 says. To defend the afflicted and the needy and the oppressed and oppresses the oppressor. Because such action is consistent with God's very own personality, says verse 4. Before I go to the next statement that verses 5 and following give us, we are living in a day and age where people go, hey, what's right and what's wrong? What, what's right for you is not necessarily right for me. That absolute truth has simply gone out the window. And with it, a lot of it, just some basic <laughs> common sense. So if you don't have the Bible in which you predicate your moral law from, a standard that is higher than you, then the standard constantly moves. And you can't be governed because you become divided, and a house divided against itself cannot stand. There has to be a set of values. There can be an interpretation of those values, but a set of values in which we go, this is not what we came up with. This is what God's Word says. And so the psalmist says, look, in order to lead well, David at the end of his life, or Solomon during his reign... Bose says the way to do that is to lead by moral law, to stand and to lead on God's word, not on my word, not on your word, not on my thoughts, not on your thoughts, but in order to lead well, we have to lead through God's moral law. The creator created you and I as his creation and created us in such a way That when he gives us this, it's not to hold back from us or to withhold blessing or goodness from us, but rather to promote blessing and goodness in our lives. The second statement that he makes to kings and rulers, leaders who are leading, is to lead well by time and influence. Lead well by time and influence. How long will this type of government last that leads on moral law built upon God's word? If built on the qualities of justice, verses 1 through 4, then it will endure. Verse 5 says this, May they fear you while the sun endures and as long as the moon throughout all generations. Sun and moon established by God at creation precede humanity and serve as symbols of longevity and endurance. Therefore, moral governments foster and promote stability and prosperity, verse 6 and verse 7 say. It gives us a word picture of an abundant crop as it responds to the supply of water. A psalmist also believed that a nation rooted in moral law would have influence beyond its borders, even throughout the world, verse 8, 10, 11, and 12 say. This has been true if you stop for a moment and you think about the nation in which you and I reside in, the United States. It was built on moral law. This is the reason why every president that we've had sworn into office picks and chooses the Bible, and they place their hand upon it, and they swear an oath to uphold the Constitution. So as with every Supreme Court justice, every governor, anyone who serves in public office. Why? Why this book? It's a notion to this is moral standard. And any time in recent history, there's been any deviation from that. It's always noted. Why? Because there is a change in the standard. There's a change in moral law. Now the con- And so you look at our country. It was based upon that. And you look at us. We are the longest running experiment in democracy in human history. Longer than anyone else has ever survived. Pretty good. Pat yourself on the back. America. Hey Amen. You know what I'm talking about? Like Everybody just take a deep breath. I'm not going to take an offering today and I'm not going to get, I'm just telling you what this passage says. But it's a great example to go, look at how America has risen from 13 small colonies under British rule to being arguably the number one superpower in the world. How how does that, it's exactly what verse 8, verse 10, verse 11 says. That when you live according to God's word, you will be blessed. Your people will look upon you. Listen, I I know there are people that talk about this is wrong and this is wrong and this is wrong and this is wrong. And every one of those people, I'd love to get them on a plane with me. Let me take you to some places. any place, anywhere in the world, especially in developing nations, most of the known world doesn't live the way you live or I live. They would love to deal with the problems that we deal with. They would love to have the issues that we have. <laughs> they would be, wow, this is great. This is a, because God has blessed us, because we've upheld this moral law. In contrast, if you take your Bible and turn to Isaiah 47, I want to read this whole chapter. Isaiah 47 is going to be on the screen. It shows the opposite of what happens to a government that is not led by moral law, that abdicates moral law, that goes, there is no God, we will be our God. It was the Babylonians. If you know anything about Western civilization, and you took Western Civ at, at university when you, when you were in school, you understand that you have the three major empires that are sequential to one another, the, the Babylonians, the Medes, and the Persians. And, and the Babylonians were thought to be completely unconquerable. They were, they were an empire all to themselves. They were the number one superpower until the Medes and then the Persians invade them, uh, the Medes, they, they come in. This is during the time of Daniel. So if you read in the Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, the whole deal, that's all the captivity. The Babylonians take over, then the Medes take over, then the Persians take over because they keep conquering one another because of this hubris, this lack of moral law. Isaiah says it this way, and he talks about Babylon in verse chapter 47, verse one. Go sit down in the dust Virgin daughter of Babylon, sit on the ground without a throne, queen city of the Babylonians. No more will you be called tender or delicate. Take milestones, millstones, and grind flour. Take off your veil, lift up your skirts, bare your legs, and wade through the screams. Your nakedness will be exposed, your shame will be uncovered, and I will take vengeance, says the Lord. I will spare no one. Our Redeemer, the Lord Almighty, is his name, the Holy One of Israel. Sit in silence. Go into the darkness, queen city of Babylon's of the Babylonians, and no more will you be called the queen of kingdoms. The result of this, verse 6 says, it's cruel, uh, cruel cruelty to people. Look at this. I was angry with my people and desecrated my inheritance. I gave them into your hand. You showed them no mercy. You Even on the, on the aged, you laid a very heavy yoke. Every time you have a a government that is absent a moral law, they begin to show cruelty towards people. Verse 7, 8, and 9. There's a proud and a self reliant spirit of that government. He says this, and you said, I forever am the eternal queen. But you did not consider these things or reflect on what might happen. Now listen, you lover of pleasure, lounging in your security, saying to yourself, I am, and there is none besides me. I will never be a widow or suffer loss of children. Both of these will overtake you in a moment on a single day for the loss of children and a widowhood. They will come upon you in full measure and in spite of your many sorceries and all of your potent spells. Wow. Folks, I'm telling you, this is every time a government, every time a leadership abdicates moral law according to God's word, this is exactly what happens. And then it leads to wickedness. Verse 10 11 says, For you have trusted in your wickedness, and you have said, No one sees me. Your wisdom and your knowledge mislead you when you say to yourself, For I am, and there is none beside me. For di- disaster will come upon you, and you will not know how to conjure it away. A calamity will fall upon you that you cannot ward off with a ransom, and a, ca- a catastrophe you cannot foresee will suddenly come upon you. Then it digresses even the worse it begins becomes occultic verse 12 13 14 and 15 keep on them with your magic spells and with your many sorceries which you have labored at since childhood perhaps you will succeed perhaps you will cause terror all the counsel you have received has only worn you out let your astrologers come forward let the stargazers make their predictions month by month let them say save, save you from what is coming to you surely they are like stubble and fire will burn them up for they cannot save themselves from the power of the flame these are not coals of for warmth this is not a fire to sit by they will all uh, excuse me that is all they are to you for these have dealt with you and laid Since your childhood, and all of them will go into error, and there is no one that can save you. Wow. Government and leadership without moral law becomes bankrupt in every sense of the word. And depravity begins and it expands, and wickedness takes over and it expands. And remember, there's only two powers in this world God, and that He has no equal, and the devil. And he wants to kill, steal, and destroy everything in your life. So he will take you from, oh, it's all good. Hey, we don't all have to believe this. Hey, maybe God's okay with this. Hey, church, what about grace? What about, hey, world, just keep doing what you want to do. You know what? It's relative. Let you do what you want to do, and you do what you want to do, and let's just all get along. Can't we just all get along? You know, can't we just have this thing called love that, Really is of the world, because the Bible talks about this. There's a love of the world, and there's a love that only comes from God, which is true love. They're at opposition with each other. And we go down this pathway, and we abdicate God's standard, and we abdicate moral law, and this is where it finds us. Read history. I'm not making this stuff up. Get out of the Bible, read about the Babylonians, the Medes, and the Persians. They were some jacked-up people. They were multi-theistic. They had no banner except for themselves. And every empire that has ever risen and fallen in in, in human history, it's the same issue. We think we're God. We don't need God. Oh, we need him on the front end. But as we go along, we abdicate that moral law. We abdicate God's word. We water it down. We walk away from. We lay it down. We elect leaders who do the exact same thing. And it's man's power, man's power, man's power, man's power. And God sits in the heavenlies and goes, do you not get this? History repeats itself over and over and over again. So as we continue to read on in Psalm 72, you lead well by responsible government. You lead well by responsible government. Now, this is important, too, because some of you may go, why is he talking to us about this? I'm not running for office. I'm not running for school board. I'm not running for the city mayor. I'm definitely not going to run for anything higher than that. I'm just, because we're the ones in our, see, in a theocracy, the way this was in the Old Testament, the king was anointed by the man of God under the voice of God to be the next king of Israel. In our context, it's a democracy in which we choose who the next ruler will be. So as you go and you vote however you vote, in any election, any time, whatever, go back to, hey, is this person leading this way? Again, if I believe in God's word, and I believe that it's a standard, and I believe that moral law comes from from God, then I want to know what God says about it. Then I want to elect officials that are going to uphold that standard because God's word is very clear that when I do that, here are the blessings. When I abdicate that, here's the downfall. So you lead well by responsible government. Solomon knew he was king and he had a responsibility to the people that he led. Abraham Lincoln, U.S. president, would say it this way. It's a government of the people, for the people, and by the people. People, all people. Regardless of social, financial, economic standing, regardless of who they are. Solomon knew he had a responsibility to the poor. Look at verses 12, 13, and 14. Speaking of this leader. For he delivers the needy when he he calls. The poor... And him who have no helper. He has pity on the weak and the needy. He saves the lives of the needy. From oppression and violence, he redeems their life. And precious is their blood in his sight. The unnoticed person. The homeless. The orphaned. The widowed. The abandoned. The disposed. The depressed. The very ones that society discards. A government of godly justice sees great worth in all people and will not discard them. For when the weak and the helpless are protected and helped, verses 15, 16, and 17 says that the nation flourishes. Well, uh, I'm having a hard time because I see a lot of programs. I see a lot of money. I see a lot of promises made. And, and, but, but yet, we're not necessarily flourishing, especially in people that would be homeless, orphaned, widowed, abandoned, disposed, and oppressed, the helpless in our society wonder why that is. Because throwing money doesn't change the problem. A program doesn't change the problem. It has to go back to the heart of whoever is leading to see there is something going on. When when, when we see that people are dying in the streets of the city that we all live in, something's going on. What's the answer? I, I don't know. I mean, we ultimately know it's, it's Jesus, but that's a way too simplified answer. But, 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 but what, what do we do? I, I don't know, but that's one of the reasons why we do Life Center. Because we're saying, hey, we can help here and we can help here and we can help here. But there's this heart. There's got to come back to this heart of compassion of the people that you're leading. It's not about you as a leader. It's about them. It's not just about what you want. It's about them. And when you begin to see these things, you go, what happens? What do we do? How do we? You've got to truly care beyond bureaucratic uh, uh, programs and, and ideologies and get beyond all of this. And I know some people go, Aaron, when it comes to politics, it's just all money. I get it. All power. I get it. I'm not denying any of that. I'm just saying God's word says that if we're going to live according to moral law, according to God's word, and we're going to be a blessed people in that, we've got to be people that lead well by responsible government. Not just to throw money at a problem, but to truly get in the weeds and say, what do we do to help people? Money, funding, it's part of it. Sourcing, part of it. But what do we do to get there? How do we get there? This is a heart issue. This isn't a head issue. This isn't something you can work out on a legal pad. This is something that you've got to work out in the heart and get into where it is happening. Lead well by giving due credit. Lead lead well by giving due credit. Solomon never confused his administration with God himself. Please listen to me on this, because this is something that we are really dangerously doing in this country today. God is not government. God is not a a particular party of government. Nor is he limited to a person, a party, or even a nation. God bless America. I get it. But God loves, hey, God loves all the children of the world. Remember that little song we used to sing in BBS Sunday School? They are all precious in His sight. So God loves India just as much He loves the United States. God loves Africa and the countries in Africa just as much as He loves the United States. He loves Canada just as much as He loves the United States. He loves China just as much as He loves the United States. He loves Russia just as much. He loves the world Verse 18, the psalmist says, who alone, the operative word in that phrase is alone, does marvelous deeds. We are not to worship God through government. Following a political party or a political ideology or a leader does not equate to worshiping God, nor is it synonymous with godly worship. You cannot go to a political rally and go, this is a religious event. I'm not saying those people are irreligious. I'm not saying they don't love God, not saying they hate God. I'm not even making that statement, but I'm saying we cannot make a party or a political ideology because then we begin to worship that instead of worshiping God alone. And this this is what the psalmist is dealing with. These aren't my words. You see, because the glory of an earthly king or government can never compare to him. God's very clear about this. Our government, our leadership and country in which we reside should simply be another expression of our honor to the Lord. So how I live in the country in which I reside is a a response, is an expression of my honor to the Lord. Verse 19 says, but praise be to his glorious name forevermore. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. I'm not here to make anyone great except for Jesus, my soon coming king. That doesn't mean that I don't love the country I live in. That doesn't mean that I'm not actively involved. That doesn't mean that I don't support a, a, a politician or a leader that I believe in that's going to uphold this. Oh, contraire, my frere. I do all the t- all day long and twice on Sunday, amen. But at the end of the day, that is not my worship unto the Lord. My worship unto the Lord is set apart from everything else because only he is the glory given. And when he alone, the glory is given to, then everything else works out. But when the glory is confused and given to a leader or a president or a king, God's like, "Okay, I'm out of here. I'll be over here at Starbucks, grab myself a grande skinny cinnamon dolce latte. When you come to the end of your bad self and you really want to worship me, then you let me know." God says He's a jealous God; He'll have no other gods, lowercase G before Him. And some of us make politics a god. Is it important? Absolutely. Should we be involved? Absolutely. Should we, I mean, the Bible's been in an entire chapter. There's there's many chapters about government in here, but yes. But we push all of that aside and we focus on Jesus. This is why I don't understand why you can't come to church and sit next to a Democrat or a Republican or an independent. We check it at the door. We're, We're not about a party. Man, I'm preaching way better than you're shouting. Tammy's gone today, and so I'm just. She, I need. I, usually, she says "Amen," but anyhow, I can hear it in my mind. "Amen, Amen." And I know I can hear somebody saying this. Man, I don't know. Like, yeah, if you're a Christian, this all works. I see her, I can hear somebody in the room going, and this is really good. You're, you're a skeptic, and you're pushing back, and and you're very. Uh, skeptical of the whole church thing and maybe me and the whole deal. And uh, I know a lot of conservatives that would hold moral value law, but are not Christ followers. It's okay. I'm not beating up on them. I'm just saying there's a great opportunity to lead people to Jesus. Amen. And, um, and I can hear that kind of going, yeah, that works if you're a Christian and that, that would never fly in. I'm so glad you brought that up. I want to end today and we're just gonna pray at the end. We're gonna pray for our, these elections that are coming up. We're gonna pray for our country, that moral law will be, will be, will be the tide will turn back to, to that. I'm not talking about politicians in office. I'm talking about the heart of the people of this nation. But Dr. Gerald Wilson, theologian and scholar writes it this way. He said, the picture of leadership, rulership given in this Psalm is idealized by its subtle shifting to an eschatological hope for the messianic kingdom of God. As such, it actually judges the ancient monarchy of Israel for its many failures to meet the expectations of God for justice, equity, righteousness, mercy, compassion, and so on. As a result, it stands not as a description of Israel's human kingship, but as God's standard for leadership that unites the whole world under the kingship of Yahweh Himself. Former President Jimmy Carter understood this in his inaugural address when he adopted Micah's vision of divine expectation as a standard for the humane governance that would underlie his own administration. Quote Micah 6 8 He has showed you, O oh man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly before your God. How ridiculous! we might say, to hold unbelieving politicians to this standard. That's your question. How impossible to conform a pragmatic decision-making to such an idealistic rule. That's your question, Mr. Skeptic, Miss Skeptic. Hold on, are you ready for this? But that is exactly what God does. Ooh, let me rewind that tape. How ridiculous we might say to hold unbelieving politicians to, to this standard or, or how impossible to conform a pragmatic decision-making to such an, an idealistic rule. You're just over idealistic, Aaron. This, this works on Sunday morning, but no, nowhere else. No, that's exactly what God does. For he has made us and we are his and he holds us, all of us, believer or unbeliever alike to his standard. God's word. Paul claimed that all humans cannot can see the nature, all humans can see the nature and the purposes of God written large in the in the universe, and therefore are without excuse when it comes up to living to God's standard. Quote Romans 1 he says this: although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. You therefore have no excuse. While we may need to modify our strident religiously oriented rhetoric in order to gain a hearing from secular politicians and leader, we need not sacrifice God's standards or justice, equity, compassion, truth of the modern God of pragmatism. For God calls us, Psalm 72 calls us not only to pray for the well-being of our leaders, but for their wisdom to see that all justice is ultimately God's justice and that righteousness is not measured by the works, but by the character of God who empowers the leaders and who will ultimately set all things right. Quote, Psalm 72 verse 20, from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. So the ultimate thing is, this is not some Pollyanna, idealistic, narrow-minded, conservative preacher preaching to you from God's word about a world that does not exist outside these doors. No, it is someone who is begging you, who is standing and beating the pulpit and saying we have to return to a mindset that says God has to be first, not anyone else, that he has to be Lord, above all and for all and by all. And it's not just about us. It's about him. So today I want to end praying for our leaders. The Bible says we're to pray for those that are in office. The Bible says that we're we're to pray for those people that are leading. So I want to pray today. And then I want to pray for these upcoming elections and ultimately for our nation. Because my heart is we're in a very scary place. Because we just continue to just erode and erode and erode and erode to the point of I pray that we never become Ezekiel, excuse me, Isaiah 47. The Babylonians never thought they would get there, but they did. Father, I just thank you for your word. And I just pray that today, I pray for our nation. Lord, I know that you love all the nations of the world, but Lord, today, the nation that rests upon our hearts is the nation that you have placed us in. That's our responsibility. We're not responsible for any place else because you've not placed us there. We're responsible for here. We're not responsible for what happens really, anywhere else beyond the purview that you've given us, which is here. I pray for America. I pray, oh God, that you would turn the tide. I know we're not the only church praying today, but I pray, hear the prayers of your people around this nation. God soften the hearts of our leaders. I pray for our president. God I pray for the executive branch of government today that you would you would bless you would protect. God, you tell us in your word to pray for those that are in office. So I pray for President Biden. I pray for Vice President Harris. I pray for all of those that are in their cabinet. Lord, whether they acknowledge you or they don't, I pray, God, you would show up in a way that is undeniable, just like you did when when, when the Babylonians were under, were under siege by the Medes and, and, the, and the king brought in Daniel and said, what is this? And he said, this is what's going to be required of you. I pray, oh God, let the words of God be spoken. I pray, God, for our Congress, for, for the Senate, for the House of Representatives, Lord, and for all that's happening right now in the midterm elections and our country. I just pray, oh God, let people that need to be removed be removed. Let people that need to stay, stay. But I pray those that are serving, I pray, oh God, your kingdom come, your will be done. I pray, oh Lord, for, for, our U, for our U.S. Supreme Court. Oh God, I thank you, Lord. I thank you, Lord, for the stances that have been taken on some issues. God, I thank you, Lord, for, for, for some clarity and some moral standard that's been brought to, to decisions as of late. But I pray, oh God, for those men and women. Help them, God, to lead by your moral law. I pray that in Jesus' name, because without that, Lord, we don't have a nation that's blessed by you, which is what has gotten us to this place. This is not by George Washington or Abraham Lincoln or Benjamin Franklin or Thomas Jefferson or a founding father. This has been because of your blessing your hand working through the hearts and lives of men and women. You're putting your super onto their natural. Oh, God, I pray, Lord, for our state, I pray for Governor Evers. I pray, God, your blessings be upon him today. God, I pray that you would minister. God, I pray for the same justice and, God, the same righteousness and the same clarity would be there. But I pray for this upcoming election. I pray, oh, God, that you would have your will and your way in this election. I pray, God, that you would put a, that that, that whoever would serve in the office of, of Governor Lord would be someone that would be full of your word, God. Someone that would lead with moral clarity, according to your law, Lord. Not my ideas, not a party's idea, but yours. I pray for our state legislature. I pray, God, for our state Supreme Court. I pray, God, for all the judges that are in our state. I pray, God, for all the mayors, all the sheriffs, all the elected officials. Lord, I just pray in our state, oh, God, help us. God, I pray this today, Lord, because we, are a people God that from our currency whether it's slip service today or not from our upholding the constitution and the swearing in of which we have built a country upon the moral law of your word the ideals and those things are all being undermined in such a way and God you don't need my help you don't need any of us but I pray have mercy upon us. I pray God bless this country and this nation that our best days would be in front of us. Turn our hearts towards you. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen.